Welcome to Link to Hope, a podcast from Kentucky Cancer Link. I'm your host, Ben Keaton. Until there's a cure for cancer, Kentuckians need hope today. Link to Hope is a monthly podcast featuring experts discussing ways to remove barriers for Kentuckians in need of screening, diagnosis, and treatment for cancer. In this episode, we will talk about innovation and cancer screenings. We will be joined by Dr. Gieske, Director of Lung Cancer Screening at St. Elizabeth Healthcare, and Pam Perrin, a patient that participated in the lung cancer screening program. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to introduce Melissa Carr with Kentucky Cancer Link. Melissa, before we get to our interview with uh, Dr. Gieske and Pam, um, I wanted to just share a few thoughts with you and, and get your your feedback on today's conversation. You know, I thought it was really insightful on how innovation has kind of changed the outlook for people who are living with lung cancer. And to hear some of the numbers that they shared uh, really gives me hope that we can start to identify some of these cancers early and, and, and treat them early. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you thought about today's episode and, and why you felt like this was an important conversation to have? Yeah, I completely agree with what you said. It's it's very encouraging uh, just to know that lung cancer found at an early stage is is very treatable. And I think that it's just important to, you know, just to tell the story and to hear, you know, Pam's perspective from from the patient was just really powerful, and and just you know letting people know that it's an option, and um, I think that helps lessen some of the fear um, around it as well. You know, I know that uh, getting a cancer diagnosis is a very scary time for people. Can you talk a little bit of, about the work that Kentucky Cancer Link does to you know help educate around this issue, but also provide resources for cancer patients? Sure. Our role with lung cancer screening um, really revolves a lot about education because there is that shared decision component. Um, So we just really um, encourage folks to talk to their doctor if they need a doctor to talk to. We can help connect them with that Uh, and uh, just really you know, kind of walk alongside them through that process so that they know that there, there is support along the way to help them uh, towards making them whatever the best decision is for them. Great. Well, let's take a few minutes to listen to Dr. Gieske and Pam. Yeah, look forward to it. Dr. Gieske and Pam, thank you both for uh, joining us today for a conversation. Uh, Dr. Gieske, I thought we'd start with you and give a little bit of a history about the St. Elizabeth's Lung Cancer Screening Program. Can you talk a little bit about how it was formed and what it's currently doing? Yeah, sure. We started the program in 2013, and that was a couple years after the landmark study, the National Lung Screening Trial, was released in the New England Journal of Medicine, which really was a landmark study that proved that lung cancer screening compared to chest x-rays reduced the mortality of lung cancer by 20%. And we were pretty early adopters. There's not a lot of systems in the country that really started that early with a widespread program. It was a little slow to take off. It was started by a pulmonologist and a radiologist. And soon we had a thoracic surgeon thereafter join us in 2016. I joined the program somewhere around 2016 to early 2017 and really started pushing it out to the primary care docs. When our thoracic surgeon, Royce Calhoun, joined the program in 2016, 
he kind of began a roadshow where he would go out to the different primary care offices and talk about lung cancer screening and low-dose CTs. And at the time, I really hadn't even heard of a low-dose CT. So it was something that was fairly new to family practitioners. And as a matter of fact, still to this date, the American Academy of Family Practice has given it an I rating, which stands for insufficient. They really haven't been convinced yet, uh, despite a, a mountain of overwhelming overwhelming evidence that lung cancer screening, you know, certainly um, can cause much more good than harm, and, and it has a place in the way we approach patients with dis, with um, defined risk factors. Can you talk a little bit about? what the lung cancer screening program is and what a what the screening process looks like? Sure. You have to meet criteria. It's like with a lot of screening tests we do. You have to meet certain criteria. The, the object, of course, is to cause the greatest good with the least amount of harm. And so there's parameters for just about every screening test we do. And with lung cancer screening, you can either go by the USPSTF, which is the United States Preventive Services Task Force criteria, or CMS criteria. CMS is based on Medicare. It's a Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. And we started early on using the CMS criteria because we knew that Medicare was going to cover the test and the other payers fell in line with Medicare. So we adopted that in 2015 when the guidelines first came out through Medicare. Now, we have just recently, as of this month, began using the USPSTF criteria and they don't vary by much. The, the Medicare criteria, you have to be between the ages of 55 and 77. You have to have smoked in the last 15 years. And you have to have 30 pack years of smoking, which is some mathematical derivation of, for example, a pack a day or a pack a, a day for 30 years or two packs a day for 15 years. So it has to work out to 30 pack years. And you're not supposed to have any objective signs of lung cancer, for example, coughing up blood or hemoptysis or unexplained weight loss. Yeah, the USPSTF, they expanded the range from 55 to 77 to 55 to 80. Otherwise, the criteria are the same. So we're just picking up that 78 to 80 year age range. And you know, there's not great insurance coverage for that age range. Some insurance does cover it. A lot of the commercial plans will pick that up, hopefully. And then the patients don't qualify. We're going to try to work with them and, and get it covered. And, and Pam, I'd like to switch over to you for a second. How did you find your way into the lung cancer screening program? And can you talk a little bit about your journey? Sure. Um, so I went for a doctor visit. It was a a routine visit, and there was a flyer in the uh, examine room, and I was just looking at all the information on the walls, and then when the doctor came in, which was Dr. Blau, um, you know, he asked, you know, something like, how are you doing? What are you doing? And I, I said to him, I'm reading your walls, and I want to get that test. So that's how I was even aware of it was a flyer in the exam room. And um, I'm not sure what you know about me, but, um, you know, I did have the, the scan and there was a spot that they thought needed more attention. As it turns out, it was cancer. It was the size of a marble. So I'm a real firm believer in that 
test and how early that it was caught. You know, um, Dr. Calhoun removed the tumor, and that was three years ago. Well, three years ago in um, in December was three years. And um, all of my follow-up scans have been clean and clear, so... You know, life goes on for me, and I, I couldn't be happier. It's, uh, you know, I just firmly believe that it has saved my life. That's that's really great to hear, and I and I think that shows us what early testing and early detection can do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Gieske, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it might have been like for somebody like Pam before uh, a screening program like this were in place? Oh, sure, absolutely. Prior to the screening test being available, about the only way that lung cancer was ever discovered was either the patient came in with symptoms, they were coughing up blood or had unexplained weight loss, or they had bone pain because the cancer had spread to their bone or some other symptom that brought them in. And with rare exception, when a patient comes in with symptoms from lung cancer, it's usually stage three and, and more often stage four. And you know, the survival rate is much less at that point. The other way that lung cancer has traditionally been discovered is through what we call an incidental pathway, which means that it's, in, in essence, discovered accidentally. They come into the emergency room, for example, with chest pain. They get a chest x-ray or they get a pulmonary angiogram to make sure they don't have a clot in their lungs or some other test. And they happen to see a spot in the lungs. And then you know that's further tested and we find out it's lung cancer. And some of those folks are lucky. Some of those folks, it's caught in stage one or stage two. But you know, a lot of those as well, it's, it's caught in later stages, stage three and four. Can you talk a little bit about the treatment difference between catching it in stage one versus catching it in, say, stage three and stage four? Oh, sure. Yeah, stage one, cancer is almost um, universally cured with surgery. Now, a lot of those folks can also receive radiation treatment if they're not surgical candidates, you know, if their lungs or their pulmonary function won't allow surgery to be done without causing significant detriment to their health. But surgery is without a doubt the best approach. And most of the patients in stage one can be cured surgically. Now, as you get into stage two, a lot of those folks can also be cured with surgery. As you get into stage three and stage four, where the cancer's moved from, you know, the originating spot into what we call the mediastinum or the middle of the chest, or if it's spread to other areas, then you really need to start getting into combinations of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, targeted therapy, or radiation therapy. A lot of times combination of the above, which are you know much more expensive treatments and and you know much, much harder on the patient than simply cutting it out and being done with it. And, and I'm assuming there's it, you, the lung cancer screening program is not appropriate for everybody. And as you mentioned before, there are some criteria that's set around uh, who, who is eligible for it. Can oh, sure. you talk, talk a little bit about uh, the process for identifying a patient and the conversations that you have with the patient on that? Uh, and then Pam, I'd like to, to um, f- you to follow up with what your thought process was when you first heard about this and, and how you made the decision to, to select this uh, screening okay. program. Yeah, sure. Yeah, again, these criteria are very strictly set. They're they're based on this National Lung Screening Trial, and then actually subsequently there's been another big trial called the Nelson Trial out of Europe, done in Belgium and the Netherlands, that actually had 
more impressive results than the NLST did. But we, you know, again, we're using the USPS t- USPS TF criteria. When a patient comes in, our electronic medical record will flag the patient if they uh, meet these criteria. The health maintenance will alert us if this patient is due, if they haven't had a test within the last year, if they're uh, new to meeting these criteria. There's also what's called a BPA, which is the best practice alert that pops up for the provider to further uh, alert the provider that this patient meets the criteria. We then have a conversation with the patient about you know, their, their risk and that we have this test and the benefits of the test. We have to talk about the radiation dose. And this is mandated by Medicare on the first baseline screen. And we have to counsel them about the importance of stopping smoking if they're still smokers, the importance of abstinence from smoking if they have quit smoking. And once you meet all these criteria, then you can proceed with ordering the test. And we have a smart set in our electronic medical record. The process kind of walks the provider through all this and, and then puts a note in the chart and makes sure we have all the boxes corrected because it's it's a little bit of a different test than we're traditionally used to. You know, there's there's not another test we do really that mandates this what we call shared decision making, where you have to talk to the patient about the risks and benefits of the test and document it. And Pam, can you talk about it from your end on the shared decision making process? You know, what what, uh, what was the conversation like with your physician team, and what led you to to make this decision, and how did you feel it was most appropriate for you? Well, um, you know, there was a lot of life events that were going on with me at that point in time. Um, I was um, employed with Toyota, who is in my area, was in my area, and they moved their facility to Texas. Well, I did not want to move to Texas, so I lost my job, and um, I was really kind of curious. I mean, I smoked since I was a teenager. And I I don't know, I think I was just kind of curious as to how long I I might be living. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's why I got the test. Um, I was really, really curious uh, to know if I needed to worry uh, about dying or I don't know. It it just... uh, it really was a, a question in my mind that I couldn't really get out uh, of my mind. And when I asked the doctor about the test, I mean, that was the very first day that I saw that poster. So, I mean, it was only a few minutes of me sitting there thinking, do I really want this test or not? Um, you know, some of my friends that smoke, they, they don't want to know. And I, I kind of get that, I guess. I mean, I just think once you realize that you have a a terminal illness, if you will, there's just really no more quality of life, I don't think. I don't think that your mind lets you stop thinking about it. Uh, and I, I understand why they want to know, but I needed to know. So that was my thought process on it. Why not? You know, it was... Uh, I had the insurance, so I didn't have to worry about the cost of the of the test. Um, that that actually, Pam, that brings up a really interesting point, and and I think I heard this from Doctor um, Gieske earlier, but I just want to double check. 
if we are able to catch lung cancer at a much earlier phase through a screening program like this, uh, does that drastically improve the quality of life? And, and kind of to Pam's point, does it change it from a terminal discussion to to to, to something much more optimistic? Yes, absolutely. It's we find fifty seven percent of the cancers in our screening program in stage one. We find about 69% of the cancers in either stage one or stage two. So when we find them early like that, we have a much greater chance of cure. In Pam's case, she was very lucky. Her tumor was 1.3 centimeters, about a half an inch. And it was stage one, which has a greater than 90% chance of cure. And when you surgically remove a, a cancer that that's small, it's considered to be a cure. Now, Pam will continue to have annual screens just to make super sure because there's very few things in our business that are 100% guaranteed, and we just want to be on the safe side, and that's the protocol. What can we do to expand access to programs like this uh, across Kentucky? One of the most important things is getting the word out there, education, marketing, and just letting folks know, just like I learned you know, four years ago that this test was available, it's become a, a lot better known. Most patients have now heard of low-dose CT lung cancer screening through either marketing or the internet, their physicians, or some type of advertising. The American Lung Association is, is big on this. And once we get the education out there, then there's several other things that we have to do as well. We have to increase patients' comfort level with having the test done. There's a lot of what we call nihilism and stigma attached to lung cancer. And that, again, makes lung cancer screening a little bit different than some of the other cancer screenings that we do. You know, I've uh, been in business now for 34 years. And you know, when you hear lung cancer now, it doesn't sound much different than it did 34 years ago. Unless you catch it early. You know, lung cancer is a very aggressive, very fast-moving cancer. It moves quickly through the stages, and it's imperative that you catch in the early stages. And when you catch in the early stages, again, we have a very high chance of curing it. And, and even I have a little different conversation with my patients now that have stage 3 and stage 4 cancers because the surgical treatment is better. The the medications that we have at our disposal are much better. We have immunotherapy and targeted therapy. So even patients in later stage three and four do much better now than they used to, you know, even really 10 to 15 years ago. Some of those patients in stage three and stage four can actually be cured now, whereas in the past, we would just give them a few more months of life. But these newer therapies have made a tremendous difference. So we're trying to move the dial. So patients and really even Providers, physicians as well, need to start thinking about lung cancer in a different light because the the hope is much greater now, even in the later stages of lung cancer. Everyone I know knows about the low-dose CT scan. <laughs> Ma'am, you're probably the, uh, the, the, the best marketing tool yep. for this program. Yep. Um, you know, I... I quit smoking the day they told me that there was a spot. So that's a little over three years. My best friend quit smoking because of my uh, condition. And, you know, there's been several of my friends that had the test. So everyone I know is definitely aware of this test. 
And Pam was one of our earliest patients, too, to really enter the program. She was number 60 in our program, which was you know, within the first few years, of course. And we've now found over 260 lung cancers through our screening program. And you know, we, we don't celebrate that number, but we celebrate the fact that 60% or more of those folks can be um, cured you know, and found in stage one. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really fantastic news to hear, and, and I think it's a really optimistic outlook on how innovation is changing the way that we're treating cancers and identifying cancers and giving people more life to live. Absolutely. Well, with that, I think uh, we've had a great conversation today, so uh, I appreciate you both sharing your stories and sharing this journey with us. Uh, and Pam, we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future as we uh, continue to get better diagnosis uh, for you and, and a, a long life ahead. Yes, of you. thank you. I look forward to that as well. All right, thank you both for joining us thank today. Thank you. Absolutely. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of our conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share on social media. We are back each month with a new episode. Please join us next time.